Today we are starting a new series on following Jesus. Don't lose the plot. Following Jesus in a world of fictions. In this series, we are essentially going to be unpacking what it means to be a disciple. Specifically, what does discipleship look like in our day and age? And I know when probably I begin by saying we're going to talk about discipleship, some of you, kind of your eyes kind of glaze over, and right? But I think this is one of the most important topics that we could be talking about today. Let me capture why. Uh, when we were preparing for our firstborn to be born, uh, we spent months preparing. We read everything you could read on like labor, right? I'd never seen, like I, I once saw like a little kitten born, but I had never been around for any kind of born. So I was like, I didn't know what to expect. I got to get ready for this. So we read, we prepared, we took classes. We kind of like went through these classes on like in your, your mindset straight in, in that day and everything. Tons of preparation. We're ready. Then the day of the labor, right? Lauren goes into labor. And I remember at the moment when Marilyn, our oldest, is, is, is crowning. She's ready to come out. It's kind of at that moment that's like this, this here we go, here we go, this is, this is it, this is the hardest point. And, and I remember my, my wife, she, she just, she's exhausted. It's been hours, and she just goes, I can't do this. Now, have you ever said something out loud that when you say it, you immediately kind of find your hands like, no, 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 right? Like you try to like grab it and put it back in there. <laughs> well, she goes, I can't do this. I responded with, I kind of mumbled this. Yeah, that looks impossible. I don't think you can. <laughs> to which at that moment, we had a midwife because we believe in witchcraft, and a doula, Jim Gaffigan. Uh, and, and, and so the midwife and the doula, I remember I, I say this, they hear me mumble it, and both their faces just turn at me like, what in the world is wrong with you? And the doula goes over, and she, she sits down, as I should have done, and she sits down, and she begins caressing Lauren's hair, and she goes, she goes honey, you, you can do it, and you are. Right? And like coaches her through it. And my, my wife did amazing. And I remember she said that though. She's like caressing her hair. She's like, Honey, you can do it and you are. And then she just like looks at me like. <laughs> but it was one of those moments, right, where I, for all that prep and all that planning, like all of a sudden the moment comes and, and all of a sudden it gets stressful. And it's that moment. And, and all of a sudden I completely forgot all of it. And I began kind of operating out of this completely, like this fiction. Because if my wife's body isn't designed literally to deliver babies, that this hasn't been done billions of times the world over, right? And so in that moment, I kind of lost sight of that. I was confused. I was overwhelmed. I didn't know how to make sense of it. I was anxious. I was scared. And in that moment, though, the doula, a doula is just someone who helps the mother in the birth, what she did was she, she held fast to what is true. She, she wasn't living in that lie, but she was living in this truth that she, her body is literally made for this and she can do it. This is exactly what to expect in this moment. 
See, another way to put this is that in the moment, I lost the plot. I lost the plot. And so what was happening at that moment, it made no sense. And it was disorienting. It was confusing. It was overwhelming. But in that moment, the doula, she had not lost the plot. The reason why I share that is because oftentimes when we desire in our spiritual lives to grow, when we say we want to follow Jesus, when we, we say we want to be believers and we want to navigate this life well, what happens oftentimes is we just simply lose the plot. We come to the hardships, we come from, to the difficulties, we come to the moments of doubt, we come to the, you could say, the, the seasons where we just don't sense the presence of God and the emotions just are not as much there. And in those moments, we can simply lose sight of the plot, we can lose the plot, and the problem is we can begin to operate in all kinds of fictions, to lose sight of the big story of God's redemption and, and seeing all the things in our life and the perspective of that and making sense of them in light of that. We can lose sight of that big story, that big plot, that big grand narrative that we're going to be looking at. And settle for kind of these these fictions. And what happens when we do that, the problem, of course, is that not only do we kind of believe these things, kind of these worldly narratives, maybe just to, maybe it's just to live for yourself. Maybe it's just that this life is all there is. Maybe it's just that I, I, I never should encounter difficulty. I, I, there's all kinds of narratives, all kinds of fictions. By the way, it's plural. When I put that on the title, I sent them, that to them, and they said, I think you, we need the, uh, the little spell check here. It's not supposed to be plural. It's a genre. I was like, no, 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 no. In our day, there's not one big fiction. All of us create our own fictions. We have many fictions around us to choose from. The problem is when we live them, the question becomes then, don't we then live fictitious lives? We, we live our lives with fictitious forms of meaning, with fictitious purpose. And we can go decades, we can go years where before we even realize that we're living our lives this way. And so what Jesus is going to do, and this is why it's so important in our day, is because it's so simple, simply to lose the plot. In the midst of a world that is changing, in the midst of the world that can seem chaotic, Seems like there's something new and chaotic every day, every week. It can be easy to lose the plot. This is why we've, we've said several times from up here, and I'll probably say it several times throughout this series again, don't think the crying need of this day, if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to be a Christian, is not simply to get smarter. There's a place for that. Learn what's going on and to understand things. But it seems like it's more than that. Because it seems like we can prepare, we can study, we can know all this stuff. But we can lose it because we lose the plot. It seems like in our day, it's, just not, it's not merely a matter of getting smarter, it's a matter of staying sane. And we stay sane by remembering what story we are in. And we discover that story and rediscover that story and root ourselves in that story so that every day we live in the right story. We don't lose the plot. We do it by following Jesus. Because as we'll see today, he makes sense of the entire story. He has two disciples here who have lost the plot. And what he's going to do is he's going to help them as he helps us rediscover the plot. So what we're going to look at first is living a fiction. What does that look like? What does it feel like? I think it'll help give words and categories to what many of us are experiencing. Second, then, we'll look at rediscovering the true plot. 
rediscovering the true plot. We'll see Jesus intersect these two as he intersects our lives. And then three, living in the true plot. Living in the true plot. How, how do we go about this? Let's get a little bit practical. And where's this series going? And before I pray, I want to say we have two real goals for this series. One is to be clear for you over the next five weeks of how we as a church are attempting to do discipleship to help us live in light of the grand story of God's redemption and follow Jesus and not lose the plot. I want to get really specific during this series and practical. Um, so you know what we're doing as a church. I think this is incredibly important we talk about this as a church today. But the second and more important is I want you to hear that our heart in this series is that you, why we exist as a church is so that you would grow and go deeper into the life of God that Jesus has provided for you. We want you to have that life and that joy and that hope, not living life in all these fictions and overwhelm, but having that confidence and that anchoring as we also walk with one another. So let me pray and we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you don't leave us directionless in this life, that we don't just have to make up our own meaning, make up our own purpose, and try to create our own fiction. And then try to make ourselves believe it. But Lord, that would be exhausting. And Lord, many of us are exhausted today because we, in many ways, that's what we're doing. But Lord, I pray. I pray that today you would help us see the beauty of following you, Jesus. And, and Spirit, all of us are coming from different places. And so Spirit, would you just do one thing this morning? Would you help us see the where Jesus calls us to follow him, and where we're just, it feels like we're journeying through life in a fog. Spirit, would you just do the work that only you can do of reaching into our souls, just taking us by the hand and connecting us to Jesus? Would you do that in a deeper way today? So we would walk away from this place following him, even into the unknowns of life and all the confusion and the fog. But we'd have you. Would you do that? In Jesus' name, amen. We begin in verse 13. And again, this is right, the context here is at the end of Luke's gospel, against Luke 24. And this is a few days after Jesus has been crucified. They've spent years with Jesus. They've heard Jesus teach about, he's, he's alluded to this, he's explicitly taught them about this by this point. He's taught them about the kingdom of God. They've walked with him. They live with him. They've prepared and studied. They're ready for this day, right? But the resurrection hasn't happened yet. They're in this weird in-between time. The cross, but then there's a the promise of the resurrection and everlasting life, but so far, it's like, I don't see the fullness of that. And here's the thing. It's, a, it's kind of a microcosm of our lives. We follow Jesus. We want to walk with Jesus. But we're in this place where it's like we know these promises. We know Scripture. And we, we, we live on the other side of Jesus' reign in heaven. But we're, we're on the other side. We're in the in-between. We're the not yet of his kingdom coming in full. So I think there's a lot here in these disciples as we kind of follow them where we're going to see a lot of what it looks like for us in our day lives in the in-between because it's not what they expected. Look at verse 13. It says, the very day, uh, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now, think about that. So they have, so if you're going, what, three miles per hour-ish when you're walking, that's a decent stroll. That's about, what, two and a half hours? And you know, they, they don't, 
like us, right? If we go for a walk with a friend, we're probably having like, a, we're listening to a podcast, we're looking at our phones, we're not talking, right? They're, they're talking the whole time. So this is, too, this is a lot of time to talk. And it says that they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. So they're talking about all the, I mean, imagine they're talking about, they just witnessed Jesus being beaten, Jesus in this, this kangaroo trial and injustice, and then Jesus being hung up, and Jesus' dead body being placed in a tomb, and all these things have happened. They're talking about them, and you can imagine they're kind of starting to like commiserate on these things and, and wondering what is really going on right now. And as we'll see as they're talking, the things that they're talking about are leaving this place of being sad, being dejected, being, being this place of going, is, have we gotten the whole story wrong? And so as they're talking about these things, you can see where kind of this fiction is taking over. Did we get it all wrong? Is this really the real story, what Jesus was telling about? Did Jesus actually fail? Like I said, this can parallel our lives. There are things when, you know, the proverbial when we're walking and talking together, when we're kind of in our own minds thinking about things and processing them, where we're walking through the journey of life, where there are the things that we kind of talk about and process, the things that fill our minds, the things that we're wondering about that we've seen and we're trying to make sense of. One of them recently for me, here's a few first, uh, the recent decline in the church. This is from a, a recent book. I've referenced it a couple times, but uh, it's the largest study recently done on de-churching, people leaving the church. And this is what it says about church decline. From 1870 to 1895, church attendance more than doubled. From 13.5 million people to 32.7 million. As the general population grew from 38.6 to 69.6 million. The net result was a 12% increase in churchgoers. Because the growth happened in the short span of only 25 years, it became the largest religious shift in the history of our country until now. What we have witnessed in the last 25 years is religious shift about 1.25 times larger, but going in the opposite direction. In that time, about 40 million people have stopped attending church. More people have left the church in the last 25 years, get this, this will help put in perspective, than all the new people who became Christians from the First Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening, and Billy Graham Crusades combined. Adding to the alarm is the fact that this phenomenon has rapidly increased since the mid-1990s. Now, why do I read this? Not to be a Debbie Downer. I read this because it's giving stats to something that many of us have experienced because those stats aren't just stats to us, they're people. You're journeying through life and you're trying to process and make sense of what happened to the faith of my parents, what happened to the faith of my, my grown children. What happened to the faith of the person who mentored me? What happened to the faith of the person that I poured hours upon hours into their life and they walked away? Is God really on the move? Is God really redeeming all things? Is, God, is this whole thing really even working? There's room there for the fiction to begin to take over. Perhaps this story, not really there, it's not really true. There are other 
things that then come up, it could perhaps be something that we assumed we'd never experience. Something we assume that maybe, let's put it this way, somebody in the church or the church and we'd never see or experience. The kind of things that we think, God, if, if this is really real and it's really true and it really transforms people and it really saves people, then why do people do this? Why have people done this to me? Or perhaps it's that you've experienced things that you just assume God would never allow into your life, like illness or illness in someone that you love and you're walking through life, and those days of life are filled with prayers for the healing of that person and begging God, begging God to remove hardships, begging God to provide the job, begging, begging, begging God to provide that next step, whatever that thing is, and over and over again doesn't happen. You wonder, God, are you even there? And the fiction that perhaps God isn't even there, God isn't good. Maybe it's just a long, long struggle with the same sin. Same desire. <laughs> it's almost like over time, if I can't beat it, why not just join it? You can easily make a narrative where it's, you can just give in. I think when we read these disciples and we imagine the things they were talking about and we begin to think about the things that we tend to talk about with one another in our own internal processing, I think there are things here, one or two of these things that we resonate with. We see why it's, we feel it where it's easier to go into the fiction. And, and what's hard about being in that place of being living from that with the doubts, the hurts, the questions, the unknowns, is it begins to be hard to sense really God's presence. To be that God is really there at all. Look at what it says in the next verse. While they were talking, this is verse 15, and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, this is mysterious. How did Jesus show up? I mean, I imagine if I'm walking down the street, you're walking across campus, you're walking your dog in your neighborhood, and all of a sudden Jesus showed up, you'd imagine you'd be like, you're Jesus, right? Like, you imagine you'd recognize him. It's a little bit of a mystery how he did. But I think what it's mainly capturing here is that there was something going on where they couldn't see him. Because all hope seems lost. It's just, and have you ever been there where you're in a place where it's like the fictions of this world are just taking over and you're wondering, like, should I? It's just hard to sense God. There's just like this, this iron dome over your life where you can't sense him. It's a tough place to be in. Verse 17 describes it then. He said, Jesus says to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? He's trying to draw out the details and draw them out. And look at this description. It captures it so well, so honestly. And man, when Scripture is so refreshingly honest and just, uh, just describes the human experience of someone who's trying to follow says, they stood still, looking sad. Perhaps you're in that place where it's just, it feels like spiritually just this, like, stuck. 
you wake up and spiritually it's like you're in quicksand. You just can't move. There's not motivation. You're indifferent. It's kind of the energy, the wind knocked out of your sails. Still. This isn't and they were sad. Well, the best definitions I ever heard about sadness was sadness is love seeking its object. Sadness is a healthy emotion when, it, when it's right. Sadness means that we love, love something. When somebody dies and you're sad, it's healthy because you love that person in your heart like you're, you're seeking that object you love and it's not there anymore and you can't, you can't grasp it, you can't reach it. And what they're saying here is they're sad because the object they love, Jesus, there's just something there even though he's standing right there with them where it just feels like they can't, they can't embrace him. Have you been in that place where spiritually, maybe you're there right now where it just seems like that describes so well where you're at spiritually, where it just seems like all the things, the fictions that are coming around you and filling your mind, it's just like your soul just feels overwhelmed and oppressed to the point that you're like, even if Jesus were here, I don't even know if I could really like fully embrace him. Man, it becomes easy then just, uh, man, you're in that spot just to fill that void with all kinds of things. That void has to be filled. So we numb, we entertain, right? I found this, this picture of this Victorian gal about losing the plot. I have genuinely lost the plot. Wine, please. <laughs> it's just kind of, I've lost it. I don't know how to make sense of life. The anxiety is overwhelming me. I can't get perspective. None of it makes sense. I'm filled with doubt. I don't know where the healing will come from. And in the end, it's just easier to just whine, please. Numb, check out. And maybe wine's not your thing, but blank, please, what goes in the blank? Right? We all do the mindless scrolling. We all have our thing we turn to. It's much harder sometimes just the fiction becomes just numbing ourselves to say, I'm just going to find the comfort, I'm just going to find the pleasure, I'm just going to find the escape to, if it's nothing else, just live out this fiction because I don't even have to worry about what I've always known is true. Please just make it almost go away. Do you find yourself there? Because what Jesus does then is he draws them out and I love this in verse 18 and 19. It says, Then one of them named Cleopas asked him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened in there in these days? <laughs> I love Jesus' response. Because he's like, what things? You can imagine, like, you know that Gene Wilder, like the Willy Wonka meme, where he's sitting there like, tell me more, right? Like, they're like, were you? Jesus is like, no, I missed the entire crucifixion. Please, please do tell, right? <laughs> Jesus is just like, no, what things? I have no idea what you're talking about. But then they begin to recount things that they know they should believe, things that they had rehearsed, things they had learned, things that they knew, things that were good, things that are true in the way they state them. But it just seems like still, though, they don't land. It continues in the second half of verse 19. They said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who is prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. They know all the right things. 
They were taught well. They were taught by Jesus. They, they, they know what they should believe. They know what they should take hold of and go, this is actually what's true. We should expect this. But in the midst of it, it's so hard to hold on to that. Because what takes over it is the but. Look at verse 21, but. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. This whole thing, all this stuff that he told us was because we thought he was going to redeem us. He was going to set us free. He was going to heal us. There's going to be breakthrough. But it's now the third day since these things happen. And maybe you're in a place where you're like, I know all this stuff. I know all the facts. I know the Bible. I know, I know what I should believe. I know the shoulds. And I can rehearse the shoulds. And I can say the right stuff. And I can look really good on the surface. But deep down inside, like, it hasn't just been three days. It's been three weeks. It's been three years. It's been three decades. And there's still something where I'm going, God, I thought this was the thing. I thought you would bring this by now. I thought you would heal me. I thought you would free me. It's easy to find yourself in those places where then you go, man, I just... We live in a day where there are so many fictions on option. It's easy to get lost and not have perspective and take hold of that. They can't see all the data points, even though they're hearing them. It says in 22, the women amazed us. They were at the tomb. When we did not find his body, they came back and said that even they'd had a vision of angels who said that he was alive. But some of us went to the tomb, and they found it as it was, but I just can't see him. We didn't see him. It just seems like over and over again, just seems like even the testimony, even going to Scripture, all the, the things around you that you see, sometimes it just seems like as the fiction takes over, it just gobbles up all the testimony. It gobbles up and swallows up all the data points. It gobbles up. It just squeezes out the life. I believe that we live in an age where it is very easy to lose the plot where we will feel these things. We will journey with these realities and we need one another to reinforce the plot, to sing the plot over one another and we need exactly what they're going to get. So do you, do you see things here? Like you're like, I, yes, yes, these, this is exactly what I've been experiencing. Then here's the good news is Jesus then, that you can receive what they received from Jesus next because Jesus encounters them. And he helps them rediscover the true plot. Point number two. Look at how Jesus responds in verse, starting verse 25. And he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? See, what, what's interesting, I, you know, when you first read it, it's like foolish ones, right? Like Jesus is like, when you hear foolish ones, you're like, Jesus, okay. Like, they're kind of down. Don't beat them while they're down, Jesus, right? I think when he's saying this, he's using this word very precisely. Because what happens when we believe a fiction? We begin operating by lies or half-truths or things that aren't really true. We begin to not believe the truth. What happens is we begin to live a fiction. And when we live a fiction or something that's not true, we begin to lead foolish lives. And what Jesus is saying is you've been deceived. You've been fooled. 
You've been fooled by the deceiver, and he only wants to kill, steal, and destroy, and he doesn't want you to have life in me. He doesn't want you to follow me. He wants you to give up. He wants you to bow out. He wants you to check out, numb yourself, and just give yourself away to every fiction around you so that you don't have to fight the battle of faith. Satan used the lies of fictions to fool us. And I think here it's helpful just to go, what, so what are the things? Almost do like an inventory of our hearts because what are the ways that Satan fools us? What are the means that he uses? Like what are the stories that we tend to, the plots, the fictions? Who's the one who gets to narrate our life? I think about it. We should take an inventory regularly of going, who's, are, who are the pundits? Who are the, what is the algorithm literally every morning kind of like determining the, the narrative that I believe? Is it an influencer? Is it my parents' narrative? Is it a professor's? Is it merely my desires and what I want? Where does the narrative come from? Where does the fiction come from. It's helpful to be aware of these things because I think we passively, I do this, we passively take in so much and we don't realize that all those things come with truth claims. But Jesus, what's interesting is he doesn't just analyze their fiction. He doesn't spend a bunch of time like breaking that down. What he does is he just unpacks what's true. In fact, he even points to just setting expectations. He's, in verse 26, was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? He's saying, isn't the whole thing, the fact that this world is broken, this world is, is messed up, and, and doesn't it make sense then that I, as the Savior, would have to come and be broken in order to save this world? This world doesn't make sense. It's not supposed to make sense. If you live your life in this world with an expectation that you'll find life in this world, it will fail you. But he's also saying expectations to say, isn't it, if you're going to follow me, then yes, there are going to be a lot of, there are going to be valleys, there are going to be mountains, there are going to be joys, but there's also going to be times when you, if you follow me, I'm the kind of leader who when you follow, I don't lead you through just rainbows and unicorns. There's a great way that this was put by Leonard Ravenhill, who's an old theologian, and he said, if you want to be like Jesus, remember, he had a wilderness, a Gethsemane and a Judas. Jesus is saying, when you follow me, there will, you should expect, but here's the thing, the Gethsemanes, the difficult trials, the dark nights, the betrayals, the pain, the wilderness wanderings, and the dry periods, all of those, they do make sense if you know overall what I'm doing and the story you're in. If you don't have them, it's like that point when I was in with labor where I'm like, this just seems impossible. You can't do this. And yes, apart from Jesus saying this world has so many trials and difficulties in this broken, fallen world, the yes, the only way to get through it is to cope with some kind of a fiction. It only worked for so long. He says, I want to reorient you to the big story of what I'm doing. And so what happens is then in verse 27, he says, and so beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He goes through scripture and he tells them about how all the things that have actually happened, he puts them in perspective. 
He says they've all culminated in this moment. Now, coming back to that, but down in verse 32, it says as they were hearing this, our hearts were burning in them. So what's happening is as they're hearing these things, it's kind of reigniting that flame, that passion, that life that was stuck and still and had vanished. So what does Jesus do here? What Jesus does here is he goes back through and he shows how in all of life, the big story, it all makes sense with him. Because notice that Jesus doesn't just go back to, let's say, the beginning. He says, remember three years ago when I like, called you guys out from your boats when you were fishing and you followed me? And ever since then, I've been teaching you this, he doesn't go that far back. Jesus doesn't even go as far back to go, remember back when I, you heard about me being born and, and, my, and the nice nativity scene and then goes from there? No, he doesn't start there. He says, let's start with Moses. Jesus goes back even before when he first entered the world in his incarnation. Now, why does he do that? Because what Jesus is doing is he's saying, what I am doing now makes, helps is the interpretive key. My life, my work, what I do makes, is the interpretive key for understanding the big story of what God has been doing throughout human history. And so what he does is he goes back to Moses and he says, remember, my father promised things. Before I ever arrived on the scene in my incarnation in, the, in, in world history, my father was promising things from the beginning of time. And he was promising things to you, and I came into the world to fulfill those things, to provide those things, and my spirit now will guide you to take hold of those things. So what, it probably went something like this, to make sense of life. He went back to Moses, and he probably said, remember when Moses, they started in slavery, and they didn't know how they would ever be delivered. They went back to where the pharaohs of the world held them in bondage. Do you ever feel like you're in bondage? Do you ever feel like your life has so many things that take you by the neck, and they lead you around, or they take you by a leash, and they lead you around, and they drive your life into the ground? He said, God showed up in the wilderness to a man named Moses, and he arrived as a burning bush, and he said, I am that I am. I am the fullness of reality. Everything in this world that has been created is created by me, and it's created for me, and everything is, is called to be obedient to me. I am the holy presence of, I'm the, I'm the holy presence, I am the holy God of the universe. And God shows up in this blazing fire, but he doesn't just show up in a blazing fire and reveal himself, but then he goes before Moses and he leads him in freedom and he brings him to this place. Jesus probably would have said, remember that Passover lamb and the blood that he had to put over the doorpost and that would cover the Israelites' guilt and then they'd be able to walk through the sea. And if they walked through the sea of judgment and waters, when they would come down, they didn't come down on the Israelites, but they came down on the Egyptians who weren't covered by that blood. And Jesus says, do you ever have things in your life that you're enslaved to, that you feel guilty about, that you feel again and again and again, you're just ashamed by, and that shame is used just to drag you along and enslave you even more? And have you ever begged that that would be removed? Have you ever wondered if it actually could be removed? And Jesus says, eventually what happened is I came into the world and I am the final sacrifice, and when my blood covers you, will remove your guilt, you will walk through judgment, through the grave, and you will walk to a land of promise and deliverance. You can imagine then that Jesus told them about the kings that would come, but the kings would fail them. He told them about the people that they would become, but that the people would fail. He told them about the time of the exile and the seasons of failure, the seasons of success. And he says, in your life, aren't there seasons like that? Aren't there times when you wonder, this whole thing, it must be over. There's no chance. 
I've failed, God's done with me. Or I've tried and tried and tried and there's never been that breakthrough. And Jesus says, it looks like those generations of people who followed me and hoped in me. He says, I have come to set them free. I will make the blind see. I will make the lame walk. He says, I fulfilled that law. I didn't just abolish it. I went up on that cross, and not only did I go up on that cross, but I walked out of that grave. And if you become one with me, you will walk out of the grave. And all of it culminates in this moment that Jesus is meeting them with, saying, I have done all of this to give you new life. I will be your king. I will lead you to freedom. I will put my presence within you so you have my presence. Jesus says, I will do it. So whatever season of life you're in, do not lose perspective. Don't lose perspective that, yes, there are seasons that are wildernesses. Yes, there are seasons of trial. Yes, there are are seasons where you just feel enslaved, and will I ever be set free? And Jesus says, I am sufficient. I will set you free. I will give you life. Don't believe the fiction. I am not only the savior of the world who takes away the guilt and the shame, but also I am the Lord, the new king, who will lead you into new life. One of the best definitions I've ever heard of discipleship is discipleship is apprenticing and being truly human. And what Jesus does is he leads us, he trains us as we follow him in what it means to be truly human to be full of life as we were intended in the presence of God and for that fire to return. See, what Jesus says is he says, don't settle for the fictions, but root yourself in the story because this is the redemption I'm bringing and one day I will set you free forever. I will not fail you. Do you believe that that is the story that you are in? Do you every day wake up and remind yourself that you're in that story. Because the question becomes, how do we work this out? How do we live it out? If that's true, that's great. But what do we do with this? Let's go to the last, which is how do we do this or living in the true plot. What's, what's intriguing is that they, the, these disciples actually don't recognize Jesus until a little bit later. So he's telling them about the Old Testament thing, right? He's teaching that. But then notice that they actually haven't recognized him as Jesus yet. Verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going a little further. I love this. Like Jesus, like how he play acts, like he's going along. He's like, doop de doop de doop And they're like, hey, you want to say? He was like, I thought you'd never ask, even though I knew from the foundations of the earth. Um, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So they went to stay with him, or he went to stay with them. Now look what he does and look at when they recognize him. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. So he takes the bread, just like at the Last Supper, and he breaks it. And it says their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Why is it that this motion, this moment, what he's doing when he broke the bread, why are their eyes open? Because what Jesus is saying is he's saying the whole point of the plot. You live in a broken world. You, I, we live in this kind of world. We live in a world where in the end it all doesn't make sense in this world alone. We live in a world where our hearts will do this 
We live in a world where our relationships, just like nations are doing right now, this world is not meant to be this. This world is irrevocably broken. And so what Jesus says, though, is he says, I have come to be broken in order to heal it. And the whole point of the plot is that life is not found in this broken world with the broken fictions and the broken narratives and the broken hearts and the broken souls and families and nations, but the whole point is that it would be found in our lives, us dying to this world and finding life in him. And Jesus is saying, I am broken. I am completely given all of me for all of you. So don't try to live your life for this world, but die to this world and find your life in me. And that's when it all makes sense to them. This whole upside down logic about what Jesus is doing to redeem them. And so what Jesus is saying is, will you give me your whole self? This is why our, our mission statement is, we want to help people know, love, and obey Jesus, because Jesus wants our heads, our hearts, our hands. He doesn't want just one part of us. And he says, if you follow me with your whole self, then you will walk in that newness of life. Then you won't live out all these fictions, but you must give me your whole self, not just some part of you, not just your emotions, not just your mind. So you're like an academic and I can say all the right Bible language stuff, but then your heart is far from the Lord and not just your serving, but your heart is far from the Lord. He's saying, and you're trying to serve and achieve an identity when you could receive it from him. What he's saying is, I want all of you, your whole self. And so if we're going to follow Jesus and we're going to not fall prey to the fictions of this world. We must follow Jesus with our whole selves. And the question is, how do we do that? I'm going to use this illustration. I can't remember if I did in the first service, but I've used it a, a couple times in the past. Some of you have heard it, why this is important. You know that when you go to the gym and there's like the guy, you know this guy. And he's like in the mirror and he's like doing the biceps. And he's got like massive biceps, right? It looks like you're like, are those his thighs? <gasps> those are his arms, right? And he's just like in the mirror like, yeah, yeah. And he's like getting his muscles real big. And you're like, wow, those are impressive biceps. I mean, I'm a little jelly, right? And then he walks out like from behind the bench and he realizes like his legs are like real, like toothpick thin. And you're like, Dude doesn't do leg day, right? Like, kind of awkward, like, right? Like, he's working out one muscle and none of the other muscles. Like, he's, for some reason, he's good at it and whatnot. Well, it kind of captures the same way that Jesus is saying, I don't want you to be, like, essentially awkward. <laughs> and I want you to be healthy. I don't want you to just work out the one muscle. Each of us has a muscle. Like, for me, probably the, the knowing Jesus. I love reading. I love learning. But I can become such a Pharisee, and I can be real unloving. Surprise, surprise. And so the thing is, I have to always also balance that out with challenging myself to grow, not just with head knowledge, but in my heart. And I also have to challenge myself to serve others. Hands, obeying, putting into practice what I'm learning, not just talking about it. So no love obey. You're going to hear a lot about this in this series. I'm going to hit them quickly. Not knowing Jesus. Jesus wants us to live in light of the true story, which means we must know things truly about him, and that comes from God's word. If we, it's not just about staying smarter, but staying sane, of anchoring ourselves in the true story of how Jesus has redeemed us. 
And so if this week, one of the things, I'm going to ask you for each of these, what's maybe, or overall, what's a next step? Here's your takeaway today, faithful response, next step. Maybe your next step, if right now you're going, I'll be honest, I'm not really sure, right now my mind is far from Jesus, it's filling itself with all kinds of different content. I, I want to recommend this week that you, for, the, for your soul, you read the book of Romans. Last week it was included in a baptism testimony if you're there. I do it a lot. I'm like, just read the book of Romans. I do that because it's not, we don't play, men, Romans will make sense of life. There's a lot there in distilled version that will make sense of life. And I would challenge you this week, ten, take, take 10 minutes every day to read Romans. If right now your mind has been given to everything else, keep the phone out of the way and get into Romans and read it. Let Jesus develop that muscle. The next one, then, is your heart. And see, Jesus doesn't want us to just, in an empty way, follow him. He wants to get our affections. He wants our affections because he wants us to be truly alive. He doesn't want us just going through the motions, but to truly know him and to be filled with his love. And the way that we do that is by slowing down and communing with Jesus. This is important for me because a lot of times I'm busy, 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 and I read stuff, and I study stuff, and I do stuff, but I can just walk right on by Jesus. Yet my life can be filled with anxiety, and my heart is overflowing with, and I'm believing all the fictions of my anxieties, what they tell me. So for this week, my step is going to be, my next step is going to be making sure every day that there's, for me it's adding 10 minutes, but that there's 10 minutes where I'm praying and I'm just writing out to the Lord, Lord, these are the things in my heart. I'm seeing the news, you know, like Israel and Hamas, that brings in some anxiety. Finances, you know, my, my, my sin that I want to see, I want to be delivered from, all these things, the things that we have in our lives. Go before the Lord and bring your heart before him and say, Lord, invite him into your life. Commune with him. That might be your next step is 10 minutes of prayer every day. The last one is obedience. Jesus says, you are mine and you were created for me. C.S. Lewis says this about this reality, that our lives are not our own to make our own fictions and live them out. Our lives are on loan from God. He says this, does it not make a great difference whether I am, so to speak, the landlord of my own mind and body or only a tenant responsible for the real landlord? If somebody else made me for his own purposes and I shall have a lot of duties which I should not have if I simply belong to myself. You do not belong to yourself. Jesus makes a claim on each and every one of us. Therefore, there are things that perhaps this week, the next step, is to, to say, man, I've been wanting to have the emotional experience, and I've also been playing the games with all the true stuff, but I'm skirting around some steps of obedience that Jesus is calling me to. And when, when I say steps of obedience, I mean, there might be things you cancel. There might be things you begin to do. There might be things that you delete on your phone. And I know that it's hard. I know that a lot of these things that we're talking about, is like, man, some of these things can be hard, but here's the thing when it comes to obedience. Uh, let me put it this way. Choose your hard. Life is hard. Marriage is hard, so is divorce. Choose your hard. Overcoming sin can be hard, but so is a life that is made shipwreck. That's hard. Choose your hard. Uh, not following Jesus, or following Jesus is hard, but also so is living a fiction. That's going to be really hard. Choose your heart. This week, what is the heart that you will choose and the next step that you will take to begin to follow Jesus and say, Jesus, from this point forward, I'm following you. 
what we're going to do in this series from here on out is we're going to talk about how we as a church in various ways, we help to keep you, your mind alive to, your life alive to, your soul alive to, the big narrative, the real reality that we live in in terms of God's narrative, God's truth, what God is doing in human history, what our lives are a subplot in. So we're going to look at next week, the gathering. When on Sundays, what are we doing in the gathering? We gather in order to remember and be realigned to the truth of who God is and what he's done. Some of you are going, you've never thought about why you go to church. We're going to unpack next week why and how we do church, because it matters big time. Next week, then we're going to talk about groups. This whole thing, groups, why should I be in a group? Because we're going to talk about how we need a tribe around us. We need a group of people who help us walk in light of that truth, reality. The third one, then we're going to talk about the grind. And the grind, we're going to talk about, you can put up that chart, by the way, the grind we're going to be talking about the day-to-day grind of life. What are the disciplines, the patterns, the habits that we need in order to be stewarding our life well in our places of work, in the classroom, in our families, and whatnot? And as we go throughout, we're going to fill in that chart. It's going to be real simple. Our goal is to help make it clear why we do what we do, and as a church, yes, why we don't do what we don't do, because we want to have a big yes, and that big yes is discipleship, so that we all together are going deeper into the life of God by following Jesus Christ. Jesus, in this passage, is saying, will you follow me? Will you put away the fictions? And will you find life in me? So the question is, as we close, first, will you follow him? Will you follow him? And the second from that is, what is the next step this week in following him as we prepare to go on this journey together? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your for your word. Lord, again, we thank you that we are not left to wander this world aimlessly. We are not left to wander this world without a map. Lord, we thank you that you redeem us, that you set us free, that you've, you've revealed to us the big picture. Lord, would you help us to live in light of it and not buy into fictions? Set us free, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.